If we are in the place that God wants us, the devil will do everything he can do to offend you that he can get you out. He wants to uproot men and women from the place where God has planted them. And if he can't get us out, he has been unsuccessful. But if he can, he has been successful. And sadly, he succeeds more times than not. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Last week we started a series on offense, and I want an honest show of hands here. How many here in this place have been offended? The reality is is this is a part of life, folks, that's just going to be there. I was reading a story about a pastor down in Pensacola, Florida, and I thought this was apropos for the beginning of this, this session today. He was approached by a local television station that did transitional uh, programming from, from one segment to another, and they always did these 50-second interludes, if you will. So the local radio station contacted this pastor and, and asked him if he would contribute by putting together a 50-second devotional for the transition. Well, the pastor was quite reluctant. He said, I, I have a hard enough trying to get my message into 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, and they want me to get a sermon into 50, in 50 seconds. So he was quite reluctant, and he didn't know what to do, so he started praying. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to him and said these words. He said, a picture is worth a thousand words. And the pastor thought, well, wow, that's incredible. I could just stand there, hold something in my hands, and I'll be a thousand words ahead. But what do I hold in my hand? I don't know what to do. Well, as the pastor was praying, once again the Lord spoke to him and said, A picture speaks a thousand words. And the pastor said, God, I I understand, but what object? And then God said, A camera. And the pastor said, of course, I'll, I'll hold a camera. But then he said, but Lord, why? And then the Lord began to unveil one of the most beautiful pictures of offense and forgiveness that he'd ever seen. God began to tell him, you remember the last time that person offended you? You took a snapshot of him. And that picture is still in your mind. It is vivid, living color. 
On the ugliest day of that person's life, that's what you have in memory. And he said, what you've got to understand, if we refuse to forgive others, it's just like taking a picture of them when they are at their ugliest and never letting them be the person they really want to be. There's not a single person in here that doesn't have that picture come to their mind right now. That person that you've got a snapshot indelibly printed in the chasms of your mind. And God began to tell the pastor, you know what forgiveness does? It allows you to tear up that ugly picture. And it sets that person free to be everything I created them to be. He said, nobody wants to be remembered for the ugly things. But how many in this place, that's the memory you have of too many people? Well, let me reverse the role. That's the memory that many have of you and I. And just as we want them to tear up that picture, God says, we need to do the same. Understand, ladies and gentlemen, people are going to offend people. Let me get a little personal. Christians are going to offend Christians. If you wake up tomorrow morning, chances are you're going to offend someone or you yourself are going to be offended by someone. It happens to everyone every day in some way. The question that I want to address today is what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Why? Because offense is one of Satan's greatest tools. And it's not going to go away. Last week we were in Luke 17. And we used the scripture where Jesus said, very similar to the scripture we're going to use today. But Jesus said, there's going to be offenses in the world. It isn't going to stop. It's not going to change. It's not going to go away. But then he says, take Heed to yourselves. Let me tell you about offense this morning. God is offended by our sin. Just like people are offended by our wrongs. Let me explain. It's the husband's sour, angry, grumpy attitude that hurts the relationship with his wife. It's the nagging, fault-finding wife that offends her husband. It's the lying salesman who does injustice to the customer. And no, I'm not going to miss you. It's the ridiculing, rebelling teenager that demoralizes his parents. But let me add this one thing, because we don't like to think this part. It is also the critical, bitter, arrogant pastor, minister, teacher, or Christian that undermines the Lord and his church. When I put that in there today, I thought, well, people are going to say, well, I've heard that before. Yes, you hear it every day on Big Talker Radio and Radio Shine because I have a whole series on offense that is playing on the radios right now. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if we don't grab a hold of this, it's going to grab a hold of us. And sadly, many in this church, it already has. 
And God wants us to get to the place that we overlook it, that we overcome it because we have come over to his strength. Something I said last week that is very valid and very necessary to say today is it's not, a, not an issue or not in life that things are bothersome. But the question that I always ask people is why do they only bother some? It is because many are not strong enough or mature enough to not let it bother them. They're not strong enough or mature enough to let it go. So many are filled with a great knowledge of the things of God, but they're desperately empty of understanding on what to do and how to live that life that God has set before them. Can I hear you say amen? You see, most of us know what we should do, but we don't do what we should know. And this is why we are easily offended. This is why this great tool of Satan knocks you and I out of the park so often. It's not in your notes, but I want you to write this down, please. Life is not a chance. It is a choice. Every day I wake up, I have to choose how I'm going to face this day, victoriously or defeated. Every situation I enter into, I have to determine how I'm going to deal with that situation, as a victim or as a victor. Every time I do anything in this life, I have to choose. I know what to do, but I have to choose to do what I know. Hebrews chapter 5, the Bible says there is so much more I'd like to say about this, but you don't seem to listen. I thought I'd put that in there right after I've already stepped on a few toes. I'm just going to read the Bible, okay? Okay, good, good. But you don't seem to listen. It is hard to make you understand. You've been a Christian for a long time. And you ought to be teaching others, but still you need someone to teach you the very basic beginning things about the Scriptures. Man, Paul gets brutal here. He said, you're like a bunch of babies. Folks, I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. Don't go through it. Don't get offended now. He said, you're like a bunch of babies. You only drink milk. You can't even eat solid food. And then he goes to explain what he's talking about. He said, the person who is living on milk isn't very far along in their Christian life. It doesn't say whether he's been saved a year, a day, a month, a week, a decade. It says he's not very far along. Why? Because he doesn't know much about doing what is right. He said, you know how you can find the mature? They eat solid food. They apply the word of God to their life. They've trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong, and then they do what is right. In the 8th verse of that same chapter of Hebrews, the Bible says that even though Jesus was God's son, he learned from experiencing what it was like to suffer, how to obey. He learned obedience through going through suffering. Think about Jesus for a second. He's the carpenter. He's on this earth but he's the disguised son of God. Nobody knows who he is. But yet this guy's going around offending all kinds of people. He's full of majestic power and also divine condensation. 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 No, no. Condensation. 
condescension. There we go. That's, that's okay. You know, we, we marvel not that the fact that the Lord performed many miracles, but the fact that he performed seemingly so few. Now think about this, because this is the whole crux of what I'm launching this message this morning. Offense is Satan's greatest tool. Is This is the Lord, God Almighty, Emmanuel, God with us, who could have stormed the citadels of men with mighty battalions of angels, yet he let them spit upon him and crucify him. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could, have, he could have turned the whole thing on a dime. In Gethsemane, he could have said, Father, I don't want to do this. Let's wipe him out and start over. Maybe we'll have better luck second time. But instead, he let him spit on him and let him crucify him. Hey, Pastor, what are you trying to say? Do you think maybe he is trying to teach us a little something on how to handle offense? Matthew 18. Woe to this world because of offenses. Offenses must come. Woe to the man by whom they come. Now, now, now stop there for a second. Look at me. Immediately the Lord tells us the problem. There's going to be offenses. And he tells us there's going to be a judgment day. Woe to that person who's doing it. I don't care who they are. They can call themselves Christian. They can call themselves sinner. They can call themselves whatever. God says, woe unto that person who's the guilty party in causing the offense. But then I want you to notice something. Just like last week in in Luke 17, where he said, take heed to yourself. Over there, he immediately turned it back to us. He said, get your eyes off the offense. Well, he's doing the exact same thing today. He immediately turns to us, and look what the scripture says. If your hand or foot offends you, cut it off. You, You see what he's doing? He says there's offenses, there's problems. I'm going to deal with the one that's causing it. Do you see it in the scripture, folks? And then immediately he turns it back to us, and he says, let me put it in everyday language. If this bothers you, you better cut it off. It's better to go into heaven without a foot or a hand, without an eye, without a tooth, without whatever, than it is to go into hell offended. Do you see the picture? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into life maimed than having two hands or two feet and last and go into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You see, God said there's going to be offenses in the world. It isn't going to change. What is it about the offense that's offending you? That's what has to change. Am I making sense this morning? Am, am I, I got two amens. Am I making sense? Okay. Good. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Remember, saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. Of course, the more amens I get, the shorter I preach too, so. I really feel led of God to start all over this morning. Okay. But let me talk to you for just a moment. 
Because there's a few folks in here. I, I have a strange sense of humor. In our church, I was preaching years ago when we first started the church. Years ago, gosh, it seems so long. Three years ago when we started the church. Yeah, if you're here for the first time, this is, our church is three years old, so this is what God has done. I was preaching, and, and we had probably 15, 20 people in the church at that time, and I, I tell this story, and, and I don't ever intend, I don't write humor into my notes. It just kind of comes out sometimes poorly, but it comes out sometimes. And so I'm, I, I, I share this story, and, and I kind of thought it was kind of cute, and the whole church was looking at me like most of you are looking at me right now kind of a blank stare. And, and then I, I make this statement. I said, ladies and gentlemen, don't, don't worry. My humor does get better. Now, now listen, 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 listen. Rick didn't say it at the time. Nobody else said it at the time. My lovely, caring, wonderful, compassionate wife in front of God and everybody says, no, it doesn't, which now has become a repetition of the church but I do have a strange sense of humor but there are those that have stranger they have kind of a sarcastic sense of humor how many know what I'm talking about I want to speak for a moment to you don't raise your hand don't point this out but just listen to what the scriptures say if you feel that it's your job to help people stay humble by offending them in good humor, then we need to be careful because these scriptures apply to you. I usually don't step on feet, but this is one of those areas. Mark 9 says, if someone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to lose faith, it's better for this person to tie a millstone around his neck and be thrown into the sea. Comforting, isn't it? If anyone thinks himself to be religious, the Amplified Bible defines that as piously observant of the external duties of his faith and does not bridle his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. In James 3, he says, We all often stumble and fall and offend in many things. We all stumble and fall and offend in many things. But if anyone doesn't offend in speech... Once again, in the Amplified, he never says any of the wrong things. This person has fully developed in their character. They're a mature man, a perfect man, a mature man, and they're able to, to curb their entire life. 2 Corinthians 6 says it this way, We try to live in such a way that no one will ever be offended or kept back from finding the Lord by the way we act, so that no one can find fault with us or blame it on the Lord. You see, offense is Satan's greatest tool. He loves to have Christians that say one thing and do another. He loves to have Christians that are Christians in name only. I know this doesn't apply to anybody here, but I thought it fit well in the sermon, so I brought it out. I've told people for years that God has given us two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. So that we can say and see twice as much as, or hear and see twice as much as we say. The Bible says it this way, to be swift to hear and slow to speak. But there's one other thing that God in his great grace has done. Is he's put a double fence in front of our tongue. He's put our teeth 
and our lips to teach us holding back the offense is what we need to do. Can somebody say amen? In your notes, number one, we must not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Offense is one of Satan's greatest tools. Paul is dealing with an issue in the church in Corinth, and he said, Now whom you forgive anything, I also will forgive. For if I indeed, for if indeed I forget I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one, listen to what it says, and underline this in your notes, for your sakes in the presence of God, lest the devil should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know what Paul is saying there? He said, this guy has caused trouble, but I'm not going to take up somebody else's offense. One of the greatest weapons, and I'm going to talk about this next week a little bit, is when you take up the offense of somebody else. Somebody gets hurt by somebody, and you don't even know who the other people are. But yet you take up offense. Why? Because you care about the person who is hurt. You know what? Those two people can get it right. They can get it all fixed up. They can all be buddy-buddy, all hunky-dory. And you can still walk around with a chip on your shoulder because you got no clue. You took up somebody else's offense. How many ever did that? How many are guilty this morning? That's okay. You can raise your hand. It's a good place to repent and say, God, forgive me. Paul said, for your sakes. I'm going to let this thing go. Because the enemy will use it to not only destroy you, but also to destroy the one who did the offending. I want to make a statement that I believe is critical in letting go of offense and why so many of us have such a hard time with the issue. It's simply because we are not prepared for offense. I blame part of it on imbalanced preaching and teaching in the church. Folks, this is not a subject you hear a lot. This is not something that people, they don't think they come to church to learn how to deal with problems. They think they come to church to get blessed. They think they come to church to get encouraged. They think they come to get church to get lifted up. And you do. But what good does it do for me to bless, encourage, and lift you up when you walk out that door with the devil waiting with a baseball bat to slap you in the head, and now you don't know where the encouragement go? If we don't understand the tools of the enemy, the way the enemy works, when things happen, what we're going to do is get bothered by this person or get bothered by that person instead of saying, God, I need to deal with this thing. You say, Pastor, why don't more, why don't more churches teach on this stuff? Well, I just want to say it very simply. It's easier to build a big church if you're not talking about problems. If you spend more time talking about God's promises and God's happiness and God's glory. And some of you are saying, Pastor, yeah, I like that. But how many here are kind of happy they know how to deal with the offense? They know how to deal with the problems. That's good. About a third of the church raised their hands. I'm I'm hitting home. Just like life is a choice and not a chance. We grow old by chance, but we grow up by choice. Here's what happens and why the Bible says in the last days in Second Thessalonians, before the Lord's return, there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be 
a great number, I don't know the number, but a great number of Christians are going to turn away from God because iniquity abounds, because there's so much sin and hypocrisy and, and duplicity in the church that, so, that many are just going to walk away from God, saying, God, if this is your church, I want no part of you. If this is the way it is with you, I want no part of you. How many know people like that? They don't want to come to church. I've been to church. I've been through that game. I know that. I've got, I've got four kids. And most of them don't want to go to church. They do, but they don't want to. You know why? They know what the behind the scenes is like. They know that the pastor's real. One of the things I love about my kids is they know I'm really real, and they still believe in God because they see my life is really real. I don't play the pulpit thing and the world thing. And a lot of the world is sitting back, and they're just looking at the church, hoping that what they say is true, but watching by actions how many times it's not. And this is what happens inside the church is we put expectations on people, and people let us down. They disappoint But they only disappoint to the degree that they fall short of my expectations. When I expect somebody to be something that they're not, and then I don't, because of my relationship with God, I don't go to them and try to fix the problem or find out what's going on. Now I take offense. So let me share with you, if you have no expectations about people, Anything that comes from them is a blessing. Anything that comes from them is an encouragement. But we set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behavior from those whom we have relationship with. The more we expect, the greater the offense. That's why the Bible tells us that don't, in James says, don't many of you be in a hurry to become a teacher or a pastor, or some kind of ministry, because you will receive the greater judgment. God hid that from me for about five years when I first started pastoring. I didn't realize what that passage said. And God said, okay, now you're in too deep. Go for it. We put expectations on people, and when they fall short of that, what happens? We get offended. Well, this happens in the church, doesn't it? We don't expect church people to act like non-church people, do we? We expect them to act godly. We expect them to act like Christians. I mean, the word Christian means Christ-like. So if I look at the church and I see them acting a certain way and they're Christians, is that the way Jesus is then? Is Jesus duplicit? Is Jesus hypocritical, or is it just us? It's getting quiet in here, and I'm not even preaching hard. Matthew 13 kind of gives the picture of this in what's called the sower and the seed. The Bible says that anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, when the wicked one comes, he snatches it away, the thing that was sown in his heart. This is the one who receives seed by the wayside. I call these bleacher Christians. They come and they are consumers. They sit in their bleachers, they sit in the pews, they sit in the chairs, and they want to give me, give me, give me, give me. Oh, don't ask anything of me. Just give me, give me, give me popcorn, peanuts, soda. 
When the enemy comes in, they say, oh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm out of here. But then there's the other one that said he received seed on stony places. He heard the word, immediately took it and received it. But because he would not find root in himself, he only endured for a while. And when tribulation and persecution came, because of the word, he got offended and took off. I call these second-string Christians. You know how second-string on the football team or the basketball or stuff like that, they're usually coming in when the winning is settled, it's sealed, so they bring in the second and third team. Come on, you sports folks. You know more about sports than I know. I just know certain things. They bring them in because the winning's in the bag. They don't need the first-line guys anymore. Well, that's what this is. Man, they're happy. They're excited. We're in church. Oh, praise the Lord. God, things let's come in the city. He's the God of the city. Yeah, praise the Lord. Offense, you're hurting my feelings. Am I making any sense this morning? Let me give you a little little seminary teaching for a second. Did you ever notice when you come into church, the pews are set up in rows? Did you ever notice that? Anybody ever been to a field where they farm corn or wheat? They got rows. And they got aisles. Farmer could take that tractor. He can take that combine. He can take that that culvinator. He can take all the different machines right down the fields. And if he's not getting enough seeds over here, he can come over here and he can turn it up a little bit, crank it, drop a few more seeds here. Now she got plenty. He needs a lot. He just walks up and down the road. Hey, Ken, how you doing? See, that's what the farmer does. You know why? He's looking for weeds. He's looking for problems. He's looking for difficulties. And you know what that farmer does when he finds them? Pulls them out. Did you ever notice? Sorry, Susan. Did you ever notice? The church is set up just like a farm field. You all set up in rows and aisles so that the farmer, the pastor, can come along and say, here's a few extra, a few extra. There they are. Oh, man. Big old weed down here. Oh, man, pull out the weed, and I got the seed with it. What do you do? That's what it's like. This is a farm, and I, as your pastor, am the farmer. And my job, did you notice when you read about the sower and the seed, the Bible never says that the soil was bad. The ground was always good. The wayside, the stony ground, the other parts of the ground had to do with us and how we received the seed. Let me take you back to Hebrews 5 quickly. Everyone who partakes only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now look at me, look at me. 
Christians think churches are cafeterias. I just showed you that the church is a farm. It's a field. But Christians think churches are cafeterias. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meddle real good this morning, Jack. Ugh. I do have a gift in that area. They think that they can pick and choose what they like and feel free to stay as long as there are no problems. The problem that is, is that does not agree with the Word of God. We're not the one who chooses where we go to church. God does. The Bible does not say that God has set the members, each of one in the body, just as they please. He said, no, I have set the members in the body just as I please. This is in 1 Corinthians, if you want to go look at it, chapter 12. He said, I'm the one that puts the people in church. That's why my, my, my lovely wife, when we started this church, it was her and I. You know, we, we showed up the first day. We had about a dozen folks uh, came to the church. But when we opened the doors that morning, it was her and I and one of our neighbors praying. Opened our eyes, and we had about a dozen people in church, and God has been growing it ever since. Just like a good field, producing crop, producing a harvest. And I told her, as the church was growing, and all of a sudden, some people stopped coming. And she was bothered. What did we do? And I told her these words. Listen to me. I said, we did nothing. You see, God brings them in. And God takes them out. Oh, do you mean the devil doesn't? Oh, yeah, the devil does. But God allows it. Why? Because just like this farmer's field, they don't want to apply the word of God. They don't want to apply the seed. They don't want to get rooted in the things of God. Understand this. If we are in the place that God wants us, The devil will do everything he can do to offend you that he can get you out. He wants to uproot men and women from the place where God has planted them. And if he can't get us out, he has been unsuccessful. But if he can, he has been successful. And sadly, he succeeds more times than not. If you and I will sit back like that tree planted by the stream of water in Psalm chapter 1, like that planted soil in the good ground that said, I'm not going to budge no matter what, then we spoil his plants, and he doesn't win. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled, for he's a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are matured. And listen to this. Look at it in your notes. That is those, underline this in your notes if you would, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, Know in the last days the perilous times will come. Men will become lovers of themselves, haughty, boasted up in themselves, full of themselves, 
lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. And it ends in the seventh verse where he says, they're ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The use that the scripture is talking about here is your foundation. The foundation is the stand on which everything you and I are resides. It is that place where we make a decision that no matter what happens, I'm going to stand. I'm committed to do what God has said to do. He said, I'm not the baby. I'm not the guy that comes to church just because I'm a part of that church or I've joined that church. I come to church not because my name's on the roll of that church, but my name is on the roll of the Lamb's book of life in God's glorious heaven. Can you say amen? He said, solid food belongs to that mature person. I've told people for years, it's never an issue of knowing what to do. It's always an issue of doing what you know. It's not enough to know, folks. We have to do. 1 Corinthians 3 says it this way, according to God's grace given to me. Let me say that again. According to God's grace given to me. Paul says, I laid the foundation. But he said, listen, another person builds on it. But here's that phrase again. Let each one take heed how he builds. Take heed to yourself. Consider yourself that no other foundation can anyone lay but Jesus Christ. But if anyone builds on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, everyone's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test everyone's work to see what sort it is. And listen to this. If anyone's work, which he has built, not what your pastor has built. Once again, I'm the farmer throwing out the seed. It's up to you where that seed falls. Oh, I'm going to come around as a good farmer, and I'm going to look for the weeds that's mingled in with the seeds. But the Bible says sometimes the weeds and the seeds look so much alike, you can't tell them apart. And so when you pull the weeds, you happen to pull seeds. On that day of harvest, the Bible says the weeds and the wheat are so intertwined. The Christian and the world have become so intertwined. They're no longer a part of me. Am I making sense this morning? If anyone's work, which he slash she has built, if it endures, they will receive a reward. But if the work is burned, they will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. Yet God said through fire, the heart of commitment. Secondly and quickly, we have to be on guard, ladies and gentlemen, for the devil's trickery and manipulation. I believe it is a grave mistake to present Christianity as something charming and popular without offense. 
Listen to our text. Woe to the world because of offenses. Look at our Lord and Savior Jesus. He was so stiff in his opinion. He was so inflammatory in his words that he was thrown out of the synagogue. He was stoned. He was hunted down. And finally, he was executed as a public danger. Yet, he was completely full of peace. Why? He knew he was walking in God. He knew he was obeying God's word. He knew he was fulfilling. Now, I want to make a statement here. Offense is an everyday part of life because this world is at odds with righteousness and godly living. This is why it is not up to the offender to forgive, but it is up to you and I to not be offended. This is why Jesus at Calvary said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is going to be a... Little on the hard side, but listen to it, please. It is only the offended person who can forgive. The offender many times doesn't even know what they've done. And if they do know what they've done, they really don't know how to deal with it. You and I do. Can I tell you what forgiveness is? And write this in your notes, and I'll try to talk slowly. I wrote it as an afterthought, so it's not in your notes. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt them for hurting me. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt them because they hurt me. It's a choice. It's not based on a feeling, folks. The truth is, God expects us to forgive the offense, whether we feel like it or not. Let me take you to Scripture, Christians. That's who I'm talking to. Matthew chapter 5 says, If you're standing at the altar in the temple to offer to God, and you remember, listen how it reads here. Let me, let me read it with you. And you remember that a friend has an offense against you? Do you hear what it's saying? It doesn't say that you have an offense against them. It says you remember that a, fr- a friend has an offense against you. He says, leave the sacrifice, go and apologize. Oh! I used the New Living Translation because I thought it said so well. They offended me and God you're telling me I have to go apologize to them oh we don't like this somebody look at somebody say ouch I'm not getting many amens today oh me is another one I know Jimmy we are sometimes If you know that they have something against you, you go to them. You apologize and you be reconciled. Have I offended you yet? And then come back and talk to me. This kind of hits at home, doesn't it? Folks, look at, look at me, look at me. Offense, one of Satan's greatest tools. 
It's going to keep a multitude out of heaven. Because we think we have the right not to, not to forgive. Satan is trying, number three in your notes, to take us out. God is trying to work it out. This present world is so full of evil and so full of offense, sins and snares and sorrows. It's dangerous to even travel down the road. Stumbling blocks, cliffs, false guides. This is why it remains your choice and mine whether we are offended. Let me give you a simple definition of offense. Offense is simply a stumbling block that causes temptation. Let me break it down. Offense is simply a stumbling block that causes temptation. If Jack here offends me, the temptation is for me to get out of here, take off. He was just a stumbling block the devil used. The objective was to offend me and to tempt me. Can't be God. If they got those kind of people in church, can't be God. It causes people to fall away from Christ. It's a temptation that causes you to walk away instead of to come back to. The world is full of sin. The world is full of sinners. And what do sinners do? They sin. Yet the world is not really the problem. The problem is the offense we find in the church. Matthew 24, as I close. What will be the sign of your coming, Lord, and the end of the age? He starts out back by putting it on you and I. Remember last week said, take heed to yourselves. This week he said, the world's going to be full of offenses. If you are offended, cut your hand off, cut your leg off, cut your whatever, deal with it. He said, how are you going to know it's the end of the age? He said, watch that no one deceives you. Lots are going to come in my name saying I'm the Christ. You'll hear wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. These things are going to happen. The end is still not yet. Here in two weeks when we start our end time series, you do not want to miss it, folks. There is so much stuff happening in the world, so much stuff that was written in this book hundreds and thousands of years ago. You don't want to miss it. You're going to hear all this stuff, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Let me give you just a tidbit here. That term means when it says nation will rise against nation, it means the United States will rise against the United States. Kingdom against kingdom, it means the people groups of the nation will faction. Black against white, white against brown, brown against yellow, yellow against red, red against whatever color I'm missing. We're going to faction. How many think that's happening right now? Our country is more divided now than it's ever been in the history of us, of us bringing together. 
our world is more divided. It's amazing. The only two parts of the world that are aligning are the Muslims and the Jews. Why? Because it's the same war that it's always been. Ishmael, the Muslims, and Isaac, the Jews. The battle's coming to a head. You do not want to miss this end time series. He said all these things are the beginning of the birth pains. And just like a mother giving birth to a child, the sooner it gets to the birth, the more hectic the pains. The sooner we get to Jesus' return, the more hectic the world becomes. All that time, or excuse me, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And this is the reason. Because of the increase of wickedness, speaking about in the church, the love of most will grow cold. But those that stand firm till the end, God says they will be saved. As the worship team comes, 119th Psalm, great peace have those who love your law because nothing will cause them to be offended. Great peace. Why did Jesus have peace in the midst of the devastation? Because he loved the Lord and he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. As the music plays softly, I want you to listen to me. Can I talk to you candidly for just a moment? You say, Pastor, you already have for the last 35 minutes. It's good. I got some more candor. You know why I preach the way I preach? Because I love every one of you. I'm not trying to build a big church. I'm trying to build big people. That's what I'm trying to do. You may be here this morning. This might be the only sermon you ever hear from me. That's okay. That's okay. You'll never forget it. Because this farmer, when he plants those seeds, he plants them deep. I want them to bring forth the harvest that God has. We, ne- we may never be. I actually already know how big our church is going to become because God's shown me. But the reality, we may never be that mega church. That's okay. We'll be those that do mega works for the kingdom. Because we will know the difference between right or wrong, good and bad. What feels good and what doesn't. The question that I always got to sit with you on is what do you do with what you know to do? That's the title of next week's sermon. What do you do with what you know to do? There's nothing I'm teaching that is foreign to you unless you're not a Christian. The things that I've taught today have ran many people out of church. But that's okay. Why? Because my job is not to win friends and influence people. My job is to build the kingdom. His job is to build the church. I encourage you, take the seeds that were planted in your life today and do something with them. Do something with them. You come to this church next week, you go to another church. That's between you and God. Remember, we're just a bunch of cafeteria folks, aren't we? 
We go where we like to go. As for me and my house, I want to go where God says to go. I want to go where I can be rooted deep. When the storms and the winds of life blow, I can stand unshaken. What about you? Offense. It's one of the greatest tools that Satan has as an arsenal. What are you doing with it? Standing against it? Running in front of it. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.